We are delighted this morning to have Bishop Graves with us. Bishop, we appreciate your being at Dolphin Way this morning, and um, we've been praying for you and for your colleagues in a season that has to be a difficult one for you, and we appreciate your uh, leadership, and uh, you've very much been in our prayers. I'm glad you made it this morning, despite the daylight saving time. You are here. And I'm glad you are. Whenever I think about daylight savings time, I'm reminded of a, of a fellow who was in the first church I ever served. His name was Alton Driggers. And everybody called him Uncle Alton. And Uncle Alton did not believe in daylight saving time. He said, the sun hasn't moved, and I'm not going to change my clock. He also didn't believe that human beings had been to the moon. He said, they just can't do it. There was one thing, though, that he did believe in. He believed in professional wrestling as he saw it in Columbus, Georgia. That was real. He had seen it. He knew it was real. And as you all know, I am wont to tell stories of old times and people I've known. And, and one of the stories I have told in the past is about the Tellis sisters. I told of the Tellis sisters years ago to a congregation of mainly older people they listened and nodded knowingly. And after the sermon, one of them said to me, I wish I had known those extraordinary women. I told the same story a few years later to a younger congregation, and they looked at me as if I were describing extraterrestrials. One of them said afterwards, that's not real, is it? You made that up, didn't you? Reality, it seems, is like beauty. It is often in the eye of the beholder. It is said that perception is reality. And perception is affected by age and experience and context. Years ago, Marshall McLuhan coined the phrase and wrote the book proposing that the medium is the message. The thesis of which was that how we perceive something depends upon the medium by which we perceive it. That was in 1967, and electronic media, particularly television, had changed the way people saw the world. And of course, nowadays, television is passe. Nowadays, we are connected 24-7, and we all have our devices by which we keep up with everything going on in the world and all of our friends and even people we don't know. It is called virtual reality. And there are those who suggest that before long, virtual reality and non-virtual reality will converge into a single stream of consciousness. That will be something, and I suspect it will happen. I am reminded of my little grandson who loves Sesame Street, and he particularly loves Elmo. And he watches Sesame Street, and he loves Elmo, and then he goes to a show, a kind of Broadway show there in Birmingham, and there's Elmo, live and in person. He went yesterday to some venue his family was celebrating. They went to, to a venue where there were lots of children, and there was Elmo. And so he's confused about Elmo. Elmo seems to be a real person to him. Virtual reality and non-virtual reality converging. Well, reality was not virtual for the Tellis sisters. Their reality was living in a double-pin log house 
three quarters of a mile from the county road, which was a dirt road. Their reality was no electricity, no running water, no gas. Their reality was chickens, eggs, and a garden. Their reality was a small herd of cows from, from which they sold calves once a year as their only source of income. There were three of them, Mary, Alice, and Maybell. And two of them, Mary and Alice, never went to town their entire lives. And when I say town, I'm not referring to Montgomery or Birmingham or Mobile. I am referring to the county seat of our county, Bullock County, Union Springs. They never went to Union Springs their entire life. One of the Maybells was the elder, and once a year, Maybell would catch a ride to town, and she would buy what they needed that she couldn't buy from the rolling store. The rest of the time, she made a trek every Tuesday afternoon, three-quarters of a mile, pushing a wheelbarrow to meet the rolling store to buy the things they needed. That was their life. That was their reality. They were disconnected from the world at large. None of them could read. They had no radio, no television. And all they knew of the world beyond their place was what people told them when they came to visit. They knew almost nothing of the weal and woe of modern life, nothing of the Vietnam War, nothing of the Civil Rights Movement, really, nothing of the space race, none of that. Their reality was immediate, it was simple, and it was very hard, and they faced it. They faced it, and they lived it into their elder years. Whatever our reality, to live the authentic life requires that we face that reality. In the gospel text for today, Jesus faces his reality. He's just been baptized. He is full of the Holy Spirit. Jesus submits to baptism as a way of accepting his Father's will and dying to all the other possibilities. In baptism, Jesus hears the voice of his Father who affirms him as the beloved Son with whom the Father is well pleased. He is the Messiah and he will enter into his messianic reign by way of suffering and death and resurrection. For Jesus, as for us, baptism is a declaration of our identity. More than our driver's license, more than our passport, our baptism says who we are. His reality is defined for him as walking the road that will lead finally to a cross and to resurrection. Every word, every action is gathered around this center of his being. His love for the world, his love for the people of the world will know no limits. He will go all the way. He will hold back nothing. He will give everything in obedience to his Father's will that the world be saved. This is what baptism is for Jesus. 
And immediately upon being baptized, being full of the Spirit, being full of that deep assurance that this is who he is and this is what he is to do, Jesus faces the tempter, the accuser, the one who would cast doubt about it all. Satan proposes various ways to get around the reality that Jesus is called called to face. He says to Jesus, turn these stones into bread. You've been fasting. You're hungry. You know the power of hunger. Satisfy yourself first, and then you can do the rest. Imagine Jesus. Imagine the power of being able to feed the hungry. Feed them. They will follow you. Fall down from a high place, and God will bear you up. Take the leap, Jesus. Prove to yourself, prove to the world that God can be trusted. Prove the truth of your own scripture that says that God will care for you. Dazzle them, Jesus. They will follow you. Fall down and worship me, the devil says. You see, you know that I have power over people. If you will just acknowledge what you and I already know, you can share my power. So long as you do it my way, Jesus, you can do whatever you want. These temptations are distractions. They are reality-denying fantasies. They are shortcuts imagined. They have just enough reference to reality to make them seem real. But they aren't real. They are terrible compromises. They are deadly detours. And Jesus rejects them all. You see, Jesus has already set his face to go to Jerusalem. Jesus knows that reality is finally what God says it is. To live fully into that reality, that's his destiny. That is his identity, and he is undeterred. What of our reality? We could speak on and on about the external realities that each of us face, the circumstantial realities. These things vary according to the choices we've made and the happenstances that have befallen us. Some of us are living in seasons of ease and prosperity. Others of us are facing hardships and uncertainties. Some of us are quite connected to the world at large. We read the paper, we watch the news, we constantly check our devices, the news feeds. Others of us are farther removed from the goings-on of others. The externals vary from person to person, but what about the internal? What about that which is immediate? What about that which is intimate? Those facts that define all of us, regardless of the externals. Well, if the gospel is to be trusted, if baptism means anything at all, then the plain truth is 
We are deeply loved and we are deeply flawed. And the second thing does not take away from the first. Our baptismal identity is that of being claimed by Christ. We are beloved children of God, and our baptism declares it. You say, well, preacher, what about me? I've never been baptized, or I've not been living into my baptismal vows very well. That does not change the fact of your baptismal identity. We all have baptismal identity, whether or not we've claimed it, whether or not we are living into it. Christ has claimed you. You just need to go ahead and claim the fact that Christ has claimed you. You need to claim being claimed. You see, that is the first fact of your existence, of your reality. It is who you are. Absolutely, unconditionally beloved, claimed, chosen, favored by God. And there's nothing virtual about that. It is immediate, it is direct, it is intimate, it is essential. And today, God calls you to face that, to accept it, to embrace it, indeed to be embraced by it. And at the same time, we all must face the fact that we are flawed. You see, we've not always faced reality as God gives it to us. We have fallen prey to temptation. We've been distracted. We've accepted the devil's deceptions. We have looked for shortcuts. We have lived in self-imagined realities that are in effect denials of the truth. We are sinners. We are lost and in trouble apart from God. And the call to the authentic life is to face that. Not with self-condemnation. Not with defeat. But with honesty. To face these facts about ourselves, to name them to give them up to Christ and to move on without them. And we can do this because, you see, Jesus has gone where we must go. He's already been there. He's already defeated that which we must defeat. He's already conquered that which we must lay aside. By his obedience, he has made it possible for us to live the authentic life. Whatever the externals, this core reality is at the center of who we are. 
It is the solid, unshakable truth around which everything else will be gathered. The Tellis sisters knew this. Two of them never went to town. One of them went once a year. But all of them had been to church. They knew and loved Jesus. And that essential knowledge made them three of the most joyful and most generous souls I've ever known. We finally got a pickup truck that had an AM radio in it when I was about 13, 14 years old. And we would go to feed our cows. Our pasture was on the other side of their pasture. And we'd go to feed the cows, and sometimes we'd stop there. And we'd turn on that radio. And we'd put it on the gospel station. And they loved that music. And Alice would start dancing. Alice would dance. And she always felt that I needed eggs. And she provided them. I hardly ever went by there, if if their hens were laying, that I didn't get some eggs. Their reality was hard. It was, by most measures, primitive. Hard to imagine. But they faced it. And they knew joy. And they were generous because they knew Jesus. It was real. I'm not making it up. It was real for them all those years ago. And it is real today. All these years later, it is real. And so in this Lenten season, I would call us to face reality. To face the fact that we are deeply, deeply loved. And at the same time, we are deeply flawed. Let us claim our baptismal identity. Let us claim this fundamental fact that we are claimed by God, chosen by God, favored by God, loved by God. And let us be bold to accept the truth that we've not lived up to our potential. And let us lay before God those failures and pray that by the grace of God that meets us in our reality every day, we may become the very ones God has made us to be. This is the gospel that we are loved, that we are called. And if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart, that God has raised Jesus from death, we are saved. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.